Dr. Dan's Freedom Forum is on the air. Never send to know for whom the bell tolls. It tolls for thee. Dr. Dan's Freedom Forum is a call to arms for those American patriots who, in the tradition of our founding fathers, will stand up now to defend the Constitution and the liberties that it guarantees to each citizen, to each of us. That is our mission, to explain in a clear and concise manner the direct effect of each issue on the individual, on you personally not some anonymous being in a distant place, and to define in no uncertain terms the consequences of inaction. Let the battle begin. We are speaking with Bob Levy, chairman of the Cato Institute, about the Second Amendment. You know, again, I just have to say that history, history is such a great teacher. Because you know that the Weimar Republic uh, had the registration of all firearms. And when Hitler took over, he had a list. And he could then go confiscate the guns that were already on the register. And that's, again, part of that slippery slope argument. Yeah, the, you know, the registration argument is, is uh, interesting. I don't know of any case where registration has resulted in an arrest, you know, some there are some registration rules in effect, and the reason is pretty obvious: criminals don't register. Uh, so, if you possess a gun, interestingly, if you possess a gun illegally, like for example, suppose you're a felon and you have a gun. <laughs> Interesting, you cannot be required to register. Why? Because that would be self-incrimination, and the Supreme Court ruled back in 1968 that you don't have to incriminate yourself by registering if you possess the gun illegally. So it's law-abiding citizens that register. And everybody says, well, look, we have automobile registration. Why don't we have gun registration? You know, but the automobile registration is state. It's not federal. And there's no suggestion that anybody plans to make automobiles illegal. But there's a lot of suggestion that a lot of folks would like to make guns illegal. And there's no express in the Bill of Rights, right of the people, uh, to drive cars, which shall not be infringed. But there is, of course, the right of the people to bear arms, which shall not be infringed. And then there is this quote by Pete Shields that I mentioned, indicating that the long-range goal of the of the anti-gun left is really to make all guns illegal. And that's why registration is simply not going to be uh, very helpful. One thing we haven't talked about, of course, is gun-free zones, uh... What is your opinion about that? Well, if 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 we mean uh, keeping guns out of schools, is that what you're referring to? Well, there's a lot this of this whole it. notion of armed armed teachers or armed guards. Well, um, the point is, if you if you are the only the only holder of a gun in a in a room where no one else has a gun, you pretty much have free reign to do whatever you want because no one. No one has any way of combating you that's reasonable. So when you erect gun-free zones, you're basically saying there's no one here who really can uh, can defend themselves properly against anything that you want to do. 
Yeah, that, we've seen that uh, over and over again because these gun-free schools, uh, they've been a magnet for the mentally unbalanced. Uh, and maybe that's why now we have about uh, 28%, is, is my understanding, of public schools that now do employ uh, security officers who carry uh, firearms. And I frankly think that's a, a good idea. We have armed guards in, in banks and airports and airplanes uh, in in power plants, in courts, in stadiums, in government office buildings. So I don't see any reason why there shouldn't be an armed person uh, at all public schools to avoid this gun-free zone attraction, uh, not just 28% of the schools, but all of them. And I think some of those armed persons could be uh, teachers. So you wouldn't require any teacher that didn't want to carry, that didn't want to uh, undergo training to do so. But the people who volunteered uh, could be given extensive background screening and psychological testing, and that could be followed by some classroom and practical training, uh, roughly equivalent to what we do now with sky marshals. And the uh, the teachers wouldn't uh, carry those firearms, but they would be readily accessible, subject to some kind of safe storage regulations. And some of these teachers, of course, already have military experience. And if we did that to volunteers uh, and gave them adequate training, that would materially lower the cost of having uh, armed protection and the cost that's visited upon visited upon these, these gun-free zones uh, that's proven to be uh, uh, a magnet for the, the nutcases that are running around. Well, you know, every time we just... We have a discussion of this. I always see that image of that teacher in Parkland who had a concealed carry permit, and without a gun, all he could do is offer his body uh, as a protection. And, of course, he paid the ultimate price for that. And if he had had the gun with him, he could have stopped it in its tracks. You know, we had uh, some time ago, and I remember in Pearl, Mississippi, after a teenager killed two students, the vice principal ran to his car and retrieved his weapon and used it uh, to halt the attack. And there was another case in uh, Edinburgh, Pennsylvania, where a shooter killed uh, killed one person, wounded uh, two others at a school dance, and the owner of the dance hall grabbed his uh, shotgun and, and confronted the shooter, and that helped limit the uh, toll. And there was a law school in uh, in Grundy, Virginia, where the student was an off-duty sheriff who went out and got his gun and and uh, delayed the shooter until other students were able to tackle the shooter, and that put a stop to that uh, violence. So there have been a number of cases uh, where the actual use of guns in defense have uh, warded off any, uh, any further violence. And bear in mind that m- mostly the way guns are used is not that they're fired. They're simply brandished. You know, just the mere possession of the gun uh, deters the commission of the crime. And there's a, a, a criminologist, his name is Gary Clack at Florida State University. He happens to be an advocate of, of gun control. But he's indicated that there are you know, about a half a million gun-related incidences uh, in the United States each year. But he estimates that there are about four times that many defensive uses of guns. Uh, you know, about two million, four to one defensive uses over violent uses. And uh, and since we have about, oh, uh, 300 million guns in this country, so if you, if you uh, even if you assume that a different gun is used in each of those half million cases, which of course is not the case because the same gun is used in a lot of, a lot of instances, but even if you assume that the, the different gun is used, that means that 
about 99.8% of the guns are not used for criminal activity. So some regulation that bans guns is, is just grossly uh, overbroad and violates the rights of law-abiding law citizens who are using guns for lawful purposes. Dr. Dan's Freedom Forum will be right back after a quick break. We are continuing our discussion with Bob Levy, chairman of the Cato Institute, about the Second Amendment. You know, the problem really is is that we don't have a press that is honest, <clears throat> honest enough to articulate the fact that guns are used every day by law-abiding persons to protect themselves and their loved ones from harm. The fact that in the Colorado mass shooting in the movie theater, that he chose a movie theater that was a gun-free zone, even though there were theaters closer to where he lived that were <clears throat> that did allow people to carry inside. So this is a this is a problem of of uh, media not properly reporting the fact that guns do have a, a real role in protecting innocent lives, uh, really to a much greater degree even. Uh, than the few cases in which guns are used to take uh, innocent lives. Indeed, yes. What about the role of drugs and gun violence? Well, if I could implement one uh, gun control proposal, uh, I think the best of all options, and it hasn't gotten much attention as a gun control proposal, um, even though it would radically reduce gun violence, and that is legalize legalized drugs. Uh, there are one and a half million drug arrests each year, more drug inmates than for all violent crimes combined, it's about 50% of the federal prison population. But here's the key point. Because drugs are illegal, participants in the drug trade can't go to court to settle their disputes. So the disputes are resolved in the only way that's left, and that is by force, on the streets, uh, with guns. That's where the gun-related violence uh, happens, is in the inner cities, drug-related, gang-related uh, crimes. And these these criminals and terrorists earn about fifty, uh, about 40 to $50 billion a year in the drug trade. Uh, the DEA has thousands of agents and support staff who could be fighting real crime if they weren't out there uh, fighting this futile drug war or they could be fighting terrorism. So we have the courts clogged, the jails are overcrowded, the police are overburdened, uh, we have public defenders that are overworked, and racial discrimination is an endemic uh, problem. And despite the drug laws, cocaine and heroin supplies are up. High school folks tell us they can get marijuana wherever they want, even in states where it's illegal. And addiction, like alcoholism, really should be treated as a, as a medical problem, medical health problem. And we treat people. We don't incarcerate al alcoholics. And like uh, alcohol, um, it should be illegal um, to sell drugs to minors, but not to consenting adults. I mean, we have tobacco, for example, reportedly, I think the number is exaggerated, but even if it's a little exaggerated, tobacco supposedly kills 400,000 people a year. And it's legal. Marijuana doesn't kill anybody. And you can go to jail for, in a lot of states uh, for dealing in, uh, in marijuana. 
So we had Portugal, you know, that uh, decriminalized not just marijuana, but cocaine and heroin also, all drugs. And it's the only uh, EU country to do so in possession and use uh, are now administrative violations. They're not crimes. Um, and it's a very popular program in Portugal. And there's been no long-term adverse effect on drug usage. The usage rates in Portugal are among the lowest in the EU. And the important thing is that these related pathologies like sexually transmitted diseases and overdoses have decreased dramatically uh, because resources are now available for treatment. And the users, they're not any longer afraid to uh, to seek help. So it seems to me that uh, that uh, this legalization of drugs not only would be an economic uh, big plus uh, for the United States and a moral big plus to give people the freedom to do what they wish with their own bodies, but it would also have an enormous effect on gun-related violence in the inner cities uh, because it would take the profit motive out of the drug distribution game. And that means that uh, uh, we wouldn't have these uh, these gang wars going on to uh, protect drug turf. You know, as a physician, of course, uh, I'm in agreement that addiction is a medical problem and should be dealt with medically. And from a historical point of view, uh, we all know about prohibition. When alcohol was prohibited, all it did was take a whole bunch of street thugs and turn them into millionaires. Uh, and really, it didn't really solve anything. Uh, it just, ha- it, and actually, from a historical point of view, it led to enormous gun violence uh, in cities like Chicago, uh, a tradition which obviously hasn't uh, hasn't left the city since that time. So, in in closing, I want to I want to discuss a, actually a more philosophical point related to all of this. Um, Ben Shapiro was being interviewed about the uh, about gun rights on Piers Morgan, and uh, he did an incredible job until he came to the toward the end of the interview, and Piers Morgan asked him, "What? Why do you need to have a semi-automatic rifle, an assault rifle?" and Ben Shapiro went to all kinds of discussions about the you know, the rifle itself and, and, and its usefulness and things like that. But to me, it brought up a much more important issue, and it de- deals with uh, individualism versus collectivism. And that is, in a free society, um, need is, should not be determined by the government. When, when he was asked that question, when Pierce Morgan said to him, what do you need an AR-15 for? Uh, ben Shapiro should have turned to him and said, well, what do you need that chauffeur-driven limousine for? You can take the bus or ride a bike or even walk. So in a free society, uh, it's the government should not be telling people what they need. What you can get should be determined by the reasonable laws and by your ability to purchase uh, in a free market situation what you want. What do you think of that? That brings me back to this uh, issue of who has the burden. So I should not have to show that I have a need for a particular size magazine capacity or a particular 
a gun that has certain features. I shouldn't have to show that in a free society. Government should have to show that it has a need to compromise my right. And the Supreme Court now agrees with that analysis and has declared that the right to keep and bear arms is fundamental. And that shifts this burden to government. Government must show that it has a compelling need to regulate my right to have a gun. That what it proposes to do is going to accomplish the purposes for which that need to regulate exists, and that it couldn't have done the same thing in a less intrusive manner. So I think the question, as you properly stated, the question is posed in reverse. The question is not why I need it. The question is why it is the government thinks it has a need to stop me from exercising my right. We all understand that the rights are not absolute. You know, the First Amendment says Congress shall make no law infringing on free speech. We have all kinds of laws infringing on free speech, even though the First Amendment couldn't be clearer. It says Congress shall make no law. But we have laws against falsely shouting fire in a crowded theater. You can't incite the riot. You can't have defamation. Some forms of pornography are illegal. You can't lie in commercial advertising. And on and on and on. So there are lots of laws that infringe on free speech, despite the fact that it says... Congress shall make no law. Well, the Second Amendment says the right to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. That doesn't mean it's absolute. We know that you can't have uh, young kids, I mean real young kids, possessing automatic weapons. I mean, automatic weapons have been illegal for all practical purposes, illegal since 1934. So we can't have automatic weapons in the hands of young kids in situations where other people are put at major risk. Some regulations are going to be permissible. And the question is, which regulations? And who has to show that the, uh, is, it, is it the person exercising the right that has to show that he can exercise the right? Or is it the person who proposes to regulate the right? And the court has said it is the latter. It is the government that has to show that it has the need. Not that I have the need to exercise my right, but the government has the need to to truncate my right to keep and bear arms. Bob Levy, as always, it has been an interesting, challenging, thought-provoking discussion on the Constitution, on the Second Amendment, and on one of the largest debates uh, currently in our country, and one with incredibly important implications for whether we can maintain a unified nation or not. Uh, this is just one of those issues that uh, people come down very, very hard. The lines have been very, very dramatically drawn. And you have given us really the basis in which we should consider and looking at what this, the difficulty of these decisions that lie before us. Uh, the killing of innocents is always t a terrible, terrible tragedy. But our rights are certainly something that we must protect because those are God-given rights of self-protection and the Constitution, as you have so, so wonderfully stated, is there to protect and secure our natural law rights from invasion by an all-powerful federal government. So, Bob Levy, thank you so very, very much for being a guest on Freedom Forum Radio. It's been my pleasure, Dr. Dan. It's great to be with you and hope we can do this again sometime soon. 
that concludes another episode of Dr. Dan's Freedom Forum. Join the battle on our website, www.drdansfreedomforum.com. The right to own private property that cannot be arbitrarily confiscated by the government is the moral right and constitutional basis for individual freedom. Thank you.